0: Hello, everyone. This week's episode of AT Banter may contain coarse language and will contain mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised.
1: This is the AT Banter Podcast a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything about assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show.
2: Hey, and welcome to another episode of a D banter. Banter banter. Well, you changed it up there. I did, look at that. Wow. That spontaneous. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> you got a little pep in your step today.
0: If you say so.
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 or maybe you just stepped in something.
0: It, no, not not yet anyway.
2: Well, I know no, you're here I hear you're letting Benji in the guitar dungeon, so that could very well be a thing.
0: Yeah, no, we usually make sure he's done his business outside before we let him down. So, but you never know, accidents happen.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, Hey, wait, did I tell, tell people who I am? I'm no. Rob Minot. You are Rob Minot. And, and I'm Ryan you are, And you are Ryan Wow, we're just changing everything up. <laughs> throwing everybody for a loop. Is this is uh,
0: yeah. What show are we this listening is, to? Yeah, this
2: is a <laughs> Uh No, Steve Barkley this week, he fishing. For well, yeah, we have to assume. Who knows? Who knows what Steve, what what uh, what he's up to?
0: He could be just taking a really long nap.
2: You know what? That, that that's that has an appeal to it. <laughs> I could get behind that. We'd use a nap. Um, no, hey, let's. Uh, what are we doing today? Let's talk. Let's talk about that.
0: Let's talk about that. Today we are talking with. Disability awareness consultant and fellow podcaster Andrew Gerza.
2: Yeah, this is going to be cool. I was—I uh, watched a documentary that was uh, that he did, or well, I guess he didn't do. I guess CBC did it uh, about him and uh, the work that he's doing in the get ready for this Ryan disability and sex field. That's not a thing, is it? Dun dun dun. I, or no, I, I should say bow <laughs> bounce bow <bounce, bounce.
0: laughs> Yeah, you don't hear a lot of people talking about that topic and so it's going to be really interesting to kind of talk to Andrew and just see how he approaches it.
2: Yeah, well it's interesting uh, because it originally, because I was doing some reading and originally this his podcast which is called uh, Disability After Dark, I guess originally it was, it was uh, all about uh, disability and sex but like us, uh, it sounds like he started it up and then did that for a while and then eventually just opened up the podcast and went in some different directions. So it'll be interesting to hear uh, that story too.
0: Absolutely. He's definitely got about a longer run in the podcast field as as we do now. And so definitely check out the Disability After Dark podcast because there's a lot of good content there.
2: Yeah, that's right. What else is going on?
0: Um, What else is going on? Nothing really. It's pretty quiet. Things are Gonna start picking up now that people are talking about school starting up again here soon. So,
2: mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. looking
0: forward to getting busy. Yeah, <laughs> it's always you know fall hits and you look back at your summer going, I didn't do anything this summer. <laughs> I
2: don't know where. The, I honestly I don't know where this summer's gone. It's crazy to me that it's almost over. It's like the eighteenth of August. It's ridiculous.
0: Mhm. So, <laughs> pina coladas on the patio.
2: No. No, we could have fried bacon on the patio this summer. <laughs>
0: that's right. <laughs> it's
2: nice though, and that's nice though. It's a little cooler.
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: But um, all right. Well, listen. If we don't have anything else to really banter about, uh, you want to bring Andrew on?
0: All righty. Joining us now is Andrew Gerza. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. I am Ryan Fleury. Joining me, as usual, is the host Rob Mano.
2: Uh hello. <laughs> I always feel weird about that intro. Like and besides, I thought you said I was the host with the most. Not this week. Oh wow. Okay. The shade. Okay. okay. Wow. Okay. We're starting. I told you he was grumpy, Andrew. I mean it's already going real well. Very well. Really excited about this conversation. This is something that we've been we've been sort of kicking around talking about on the podcast for a while now, but we really have, honestly, we've been a little bit hesitant to pull the trigger. So uh, I'm I'm excited to just go ahead and do it. Because I think this is going to be a really important and interesting conversation. Um, but why don't we just start out and just tell us and the audience just a little bit about yourself and uh, and what you do, and a little bit about the podcast.
1: Sure, sure. My name is Andrew Grza. I am 37. I live in Toronto, Canada with cerebral palsy, I'm a full-time power wheelchair user, uh, I'm queer, I'm disabled, I am professionally a disability awareness consultant, um, so I give talks, speeches, uh, presentations around disability and the lived experience, and I also host an award-winning podcast called, or no, an award-nominated podcast, almost winning, not winning, almost, called Disability After Dark, where I share the stories of disabled people.
0: Well, At least you've been nominated.
1: <laughs> I was, it's all—it is an honor to be nominated, but fucking hell, I want to win one time.
2: I'd like to be nominated. <laughs> one day, one day. Wait, how do we do that? Who do we? I don't know. Is, we got to find some palms to grease, Ryan. I didn't even realize that there was. Okay, oh, well, absolutely. Making, making a note of that. Find <laughs> <laughs> nominations. Yeah, I um. Oh geez, you know this is. Uh, yeah, this, I've got so many notes. I've got so much. I don't even know where to start. Um, well, okay. You know what? Let's start at the beginning and kind of walk us through what got you into this space about talking about sex and disability. Was was it sort of something that that was planned or did it just kind of happen? Um,
1: it just happened. I had no plan to be uh, to do what I do. I just it just happened. I, I was finishing school. I finished my master's degree, have a degree from Carleton U in law and disability. And I was like, oh, nobody wants to hire me to work because of my disability. Great. I better make a name for myself, better make a job myself. And so I realized that I had a story to tell around disability and queerness. And I was like, well, I can use that as my like springboard to talk about this stuff. And then I just started putting myself out there and going to outlets like HuffPost and The Advocate and a bunch of queer outlets saying, I want to do this now. So um, it just kind of happened. It, it snowballed from there, but I made a conscious choice because I was like, no one will hire me to do a regular job at a school. And so if no one's going to hire me, I need to make money somehow.
0: Did you always have the open attitude, the the bluntness about facing the issues related to your disability and and sex in that regard as well because listening to some of your podcasts and watching your documentary there is no filters with you and that's something I appreciate hearing and that's not something we hear a lot
1: i mean i'm shy actually i mean the, the public the I, I, I know that seems weird to say but i am i'm very shy i'm very awkward the public persona that i've kind of crafted for myself was a way for me to get to get people to notice me so they would hire me so that they would pay attention to me. But I, like, I, I am also that gregarious
2: person, but deep, deep underneath all that, I'm shy. And so what is the what's that process been like over the years um, in terms of like, like, say, even personal growth or like as you as you sort of dove into this sphere and sort of talking more about it and 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 developing the podcast and all the other media. That, that you've created through this conversation, what's it sort of meant to you personally? It's just so cool to see other people
1: resonate with what I post or talk about or podcast about to see other people say, you know, your podcast makes me feel not so alone or your show makes me feel happy or what you what you talk about is what I feel about disability. Or, or like, you know, thank you for putting it out there. To see community members come at me and say like, this is what I feel too. That's what it means to me. Like the fact that I can do all this also from my bedroom and make an impact like that, that's
2: cool. And I have to say that, you know, talking about sex and disability and having that conversation, it's 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 hard because I feel like with with the mainstream audience, it's already hard enough to to talk about disability. There's there's a real discomfort level with with the mainstream. Um, to, to enter into that discussion. But then again, and then you layer on top of that, talking about sexuality, which is also uncomfortable for some people to um, deal with. What's what's sort of some of the reception that you've got talking about this? Uh, you know, I, I know that you've, I'm sure you've gotten positive impact from the community. Have you gotten any sort of negative pushback or anything from people? Um... Some people don't like how, how
1: outspoken I am. Some people don't like that I've said certain things. Um, but I'm always open to learning. And if I've made a mistake, I'm always willing to, to correct myself and be corrected. Um, but some people haven't liked kind of what I've talked about and how I've talked about it. But, you know, that's on them. And that's not my really not my problem. Um, and I try to just keep doing what I'm doing with love and
2: honesty and hope that it resonates for people. Yeah, and it seems to me that, like, when we're talking about disability, it, that's kind of, that kind of resonates with me, uh, because I feel like the important thing is people are talking about disability.
1: Do you kind of see it like that? Or? I think that in our, in our social media, cancel culture-esque kind of world, I think the old adage, any press is good press, isn't necessarily true. Um, I think that we have to be very careful what we accept, especially around disability. Um, I think we also have to be, bit, like, I don't like a lot of the infighting within the disability community. That, that's the part of being a disabled community member that I hate the most. Why do we have to tear each other down all the time when we use the wrong language or say the wrong thing, or maybe we're learning about disability in a different way? Why do we have to hate on each other so much? that's the stuff that i have a problem with and i think we need to talk about disability in a much more nuanced way than oh if you're not disabled you're an ableist like no (laughs) it goes deeper than that we need to talk about disability in a way that's like everyone has a right to learn about this we need to make these conversations accessible to everyone
2: yeah i think that's a really really interesting point um and i i know that as you know an able-bodied person that that uh, you know hosts a podcast um you know around the disability community i do feel that sometimes it is hard because we want we want the conversation to be pushed forward we want people to engage and and learn i mean that's really the main push of of the disability community is is teaching people educating people on what that lived what that disabled lived experience is is like that's hard to do when people are feel either uncomfortable about that which they already are anyways but especially if they're uncomfortable because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing
1: yeah i totally agree and i think everyone has the right to say the wrong thing and i wish that people would now there's a a difference between being offensive for the sake of being offensive and for the sake of saying something edgy but if you're just trying to learn and you fuck up i think that's okay too Like, I think that's valid. I think we in the disability community have to soften our, soften a little bit. We have to learn to build a bridge instead of burning them. And I don't think we're doing that enough.
2: Yeah. And I I think that that extends out even, you know, past the disability community. I mean, I think it's just this, it's this toxic social media outrage culture that, you know, it, it feels really good for people to sort of you know, attack other people. I think on social media, it, it's become a little bit of a, almost- it's, been kind of, it's a game almost. Yeah. You know,
1: who can I bring down
2: today? And like, I'm not
1: saying that disabled people or other marginalized people shouldn't be angry. Of course they should. We've been through some shit, of course. But my caveat to that is what are you doing to mobilize your anger? What are you doing to, to turn it away from anger into something positive? What are you ter- What are you doing to make yourself feel better? Because I, for a couple of years in my activism, I was that angry disabled person who was like mad at every bloody person for existing. But then I got sick from that, physically ill from that. So like, wh- who's that helping?
2: Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about, uh, about that. Um, because I really do feel like, Lately, you know, we, we have had some, some movement in a lot of different spaces. Like we, we've had, you know, Black Lives Matter. We've had a movement in the LGBTQIAS plus sphere. We've had um, different movements that, that have sort of provided a little bit of traction. But I still feel like the, in the disability rights space, I feel like we haven't had that moment yet. What's sort of your feeling, you know, having your boots on the ground?
1: My feeling is we have to be, we have to stop infighting with each other. Disabled people have different things and have different feelings around stuff. And you know what? That's okay. But the way disabled people talk about disability rights on social media is that it's one way or it's no way. And that's just not true. And I hate that about it. Like for instance, I am asked all the time to do image descriptions for my posts or transcripts for the podcast. And due to my energy levels and due to my disabilities, a lot of the times I can't or I don't. And when I don't, I am raked over the coals because I'm a public figure about how dare you not be accessible to XYZ community. And I always say like, cool, if you want to pay for me to get a transcriptionist so that they can do all that, amazing. Otherwise... I'm doing my very best here, like, sorry. And so I think, you know, we have to just be softer with each other and also softer with non-disabled people that are trying to learn. We're never gonna move the needle fo- the needle forward in disability justice if we keep unintentionally dividing able-bodied and disabled people from each other.
0: Yeah. Make All love, right. not war, right? <laughs>
1: I mean, you can have a war, but just don't (laughs) tear each other down.
0: You
2: gotta pick your battles, right? Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this. Um, How do you see, talking about sexuality, how do you see that fitting into sort of the, the larger conversation about disability in general?
1: I would say sexuality is a disability rights issue. We always talk about in disability rights, the right to access. Well, what if I couldn't access my own body? What if I couldn't access the right to masturbate? What if I couldn't access the right to someone else's body with their consent and love? Like, what if I couldn't do that? Sexuality needs to be a part of of disability rights and it isn't right now. Most disability rights justice people don't talk about sex. If you notice, most of them don't and they need to be
2: yeah i thought it was really interesting when i watched the documentary um the, the piece about talking a little bit about support workers and how there's really no mechanism in their their job to really factor in the idea of sexuality and i thought that that was a really really interesting point where do you see a, 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 the main part of the the work to be done we need to recognize
1: like overall, that all of us are going to become disabled. Let's start there. Every single person that is on this earth, if they're not disabled already, they're going to become disabled at some point. So we got to start there. We have to talk about what ableism is first. We do need to include sexuality into disability supports um, because that's a part of life, so of course we do. But we have to be able to sit in our discomfort first and talk about why it makes us uncomfortable
2: yeah i think that that's a really really good point people always i think in their heart of hearts just go well this that could be me like i or that could be me like because really not could it will be you yeah right right exactly like i don't know i forget what the stat is but we've talked about it on the show before where you know it's like three out of four people or four out of four people eventually in their lifetime at some point is are going to be quote disabled uh in some way um and so do you think that that's where that discomfort comes from is that people are just they're they're afraid um uh, about how they are going to handle it and so that just creates this this level of discomfort or what, what do you think that's about i well look at the history of disability
1: the the history of discrimination against disabled people goes back thousands of years. Look at, you know, we've been institutionalized, we've been killed, we've been named, we've been told that we're, you know, demon people. We, we, you know, it goes back thousands of years. So there's a huge history in us not being included and us not being seen as human even. So people are afraid that by becoming disabled, they'll become an other and, and that, Lack of privilege scares
2: a lot of people. and it's so counterintuitive too. Like sometimes humans are just, we're just stupid. Like, honestly, like if that's a a real fear with people, you would think that, well, listen, let then let's, let's be inclusive. Let's build a a society that's that's great for that because we're all going to be there at some point in our lives. And, and yet we don't, we stick our heads in the sand and we, uh, we don't, we don't want to engage in that conversation. And that's unfortunate because by engaging
1: in the conversation, you can learn what your own biases are and you can learn what the things you have to work on. And that's all we have to do. I'm not saying that everybody tomorrow has to be anti-ableist and like wake up knowing all the right things to say about disability. I'm not saying that I'm saying just work on it better. Try a little bit harder, try not to hurt somebody. And when a disabled person says, you've hurt me, do better.
0: And since we know that talking to people or about people with disabilities is such a big fear or an issue with some people, how do you then introduce the topic of sexual disabilities or sexual identity on top of that conversation? It's a
1: loaded question. I mean, I mean <laughs> the way I've done it is to be very forward. Like you saw me in the documentary, you saw what the character that I've created for myself, even though I'm shy, Like the character that I created of Andrew Garza is very forward, very very forthcoming with my sexuality, to say like this exists, this is important, pay attention here, um, and I think just being playful with it and making it part of who you are. Like I play with the fact that I'm disabled all the time as part of my sexuality, and like I call myself a bear in a chair, or like I say like, hey, do you want to touch my big joystick? Like I play with it because it's. It's fun. And I think the way you introduce that conversation is through fun.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, fun and, and humor. And I think that that generally disarms people and puts the puts them at ease. Um,
1: yeah. And I think the e- when, when people are at ease, they're,
2: more, they're also more willing to learn. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how do you how do you like podcasting? This might be a stupid question, but I'm, I'm just curious um it's it's been a journey for me when
1: I first started the show five years ago the tagline was um the tagline was shining a bright light on sex and disability it was purely a sexuality and disability podcast and now it's an everything podcast so over the last five years it's morphed into something completely different I love it now because it allows me to sit with people and get them to share their stories and tell stories and really shine a light. The reason why it's called Disability After Dark now, five years ago when I created that name, it was to be like, ooh, sexy. That's a sexy, like, After Dark, yeah. And now it's like, let's talk about all the things that we don't talk about about disability and let's shine a light on that. And so I, like, I love doing that. I love sharing stories. I love bringing non-disabled people on the show and asking them questions about disability and getting them to learn. I love just having those conversations and having that platform
2: to bring those conversations to life. That's so interesting. We, we are so much alike. Uh, actually it's, it's funny. Our podcasts are, are very close in age. Uh, and we, we is the exact same thing happened to us. Um, when we started out, we were, we were just going to be strictly, uh, a podcast that talked about assistive technology. It was going to be a real tech-based show. And within about five episodes, we kind of just strayed from that and started talking to people in, in the community. And we just found that that was so much more um, interesting for us. Um, but I think that m- much more engaging for the audience. And, and there was much more of a, of a potential to reach people who we could educate about um, different, different um, issues in the disability community.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's what I love about doing what I do Like I've had I did, a, I did a couple of shows recently where I talked to like teenagers about being teenagers with disabilities. I did a show where I talked about, um, you know, somebody with disabilities wrote a children's book that I, and you know, these are all episodes that are up and coming, but then I'll do shows where I talk with like Dan Savage or a porn star or like, you know, so I love the breadth of stories that I can share and I love how it's changed into something completely different than what it originally was. And that's exciting for me. Also, because like there isn't a lot of popular disability media out there and I'm poised and quite thankful and grateful that I get to do that, that I get to put something out there in the world. And the same with your show. Like These kinds of conversations are valuable and they, I'm glad we're able to create content to give them a space.
0: Yeah, I listened to one of your sound bites you and your mom did on CBC, and you know Rob was mentioning the documentary. We we both watched it as well. I think I want to get your mom on the show. I think she'd make an interesting guest. <laughs> interesting. It's talk. funny.
1: She just texted me five seconds ago. Uh, she probably would be on the show.
0: <laughs> she probably totally would. Tell us all about Andrew. <laughs> tell
1: yeah. Tell us all about Andrew and all the things that he just wanted to say on the air. Go. <laughs>
2: Well, actually, no. But actually, that is a, that that totally is a uh, not a bad idea, Ryan. Make a note of that. Because I mean, you know, she it, would she'd do it too. It's you, because the other thing that struck me about the the documentary and especially the the part about your mom that I think that part of education, I think the really important people to hit are parents of of children who have either just recently you know been born with a disability or been diagnosed because i really feel like those formative years are so important um and so you know it really struck me when your mom was talking about how she treated you just like any of the other kids and and that you got no special treatment
1: yeah and my mom and my whole family really never treated me any differently they treated me like a disabled person that needed help because that's just the truth. But when it came to like going places and doing stuff, that was never that they were like, okay, we have to find a way to bring Andrew, let's figure out a way. And I am very grateful for that. And I'm very grateful that like my mom never coddled me, she never like overdid it. She was like, oh, you're gonna fall on your face, cool, you're gonna learn that that hurts, <laughs> like move on. And so, like. But she always she always had to be had to be harder on me a little bit because you know um, she wanted to show me that like you have to be stronger in the world.
2: Yeah, and I think that that you know when you develop at at that sort of age, it builds in um, the confidence that you really need to let's face it, like breach this world that has all these barriers in place.
0: Well, and the fact, too, that, you know, TV and media have villainized, you know, persons with disabilities, right? We've always been kind of the bad guys or the the evil.
2: Or, like, the
1: superhero that, like, could do no wrong and is an angel and is great. Like, why can't you be somewhere in between? Sometimes I'm an asshole. Like, (laughs) why can't we show that part of it things? Like, sometimes I'm a real dick. I'm like.
0: Just listen to A.T. Banter. You'll hear an asshole all the time.
1: (laughs) Amazing. Good.
0: Yes. (laughs) That's me rob not you <laughs> as a
1: as a queer man though i like assholes so i guess i guess that's okay Maybe.
2: you know what okay so i i do want to touch a little bit on this because i this is a quote from the documentary that i loved and, and i just. Oh wanna... no! what did i say oh no all right no this is i thought this was really insightful and and really interesting so but you said disability needs to be sensationalized in order to be newsworthy and i thought that that is a really really interesting point point. and the more that i thought about it i thought you know what you're absolutely 100 right and that's maybe part of the problem because if you think about it you know it's it, disability is it's either it's inspiration porn or it's somebody getting sued or somebody that's fucked up some way where everybody's going to be angry at them yeah you never you never hear it in any other context
1: Yeah, you really don't like, like I'm not. I don't, I don't know where you guys are recording from right now, but I know in Halifax right now, they had a protest the other day for like, you know, disability housing, and some of the some of the horribleness that's happening there, which is which is newsworthy, of course. But like, wouldn't you love it if it was just first of all, wouldn't you love to see a disabled newscaster? Yeah, like, wouldn't that be amazing? Yes. If you turn on like. CTV like eleven o'clock news, and instead of you guys are in Canada, right?
0: We're in British Columbia. Yep.
1: Okay, so instead of like Lisa Laflamme at eleven p.m. Fuck Andrew Gerza at eleven p.m. Like, reading, you just <laughs> happened to be reading in the news. Like, wouldn't that be incredible if you like, or if you saw a field reporter that was like, you know, out there doing it? Um. But at the same time, like to put it in context for where you guys are like there's wildfires happening there. Mm-hmm. Where is the like disabled people trying to survive the wildfire stories? Where where are those? Um, you know, where are the everyday people with disabilities just trying to live stories? Right. We need more disabled people behind the camera, in front of the camera, in the writers' rooms, creating these stories because I think if you hire disabled people behind the scenes, You got a whole different story that's grown out of a knowledge base that able-bodied people don't have.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you're so right. And, you know, I, I want to think that we're, we're slowly getting better. I mean, we, we hear more and more stories about things like, um, representation in, in media, um, you know, hiring, um, actors with disabilities. You know four roles that that feature disabilities that type of thing or even you know even better yet um hiring an actor with a disability that the 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 role doesn't even have anything to do with the disability so yeah so you know we're starting to hear more stories but yeah you're absolutely right i mean that would really move the ball forward i think and we have we have a, a you know a long way to go but at least i think i feel like from my perspective we're starting that process. Um, yeah,
1: we're starting, but we're not doing good enough. We it's way too slow. We need, um, we need more. Just like the 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 biggest example of this that I can see is, um, special with Ryan O'Connell when he made that show on Netflix right. about. Being gay and disabled, have either of you seen it? No. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like it's it's the big, it's the like the only real show on Netflix that is about disability and queerness. So like, what I love about that show is that he was behind the camera. He wrote it. He produced it. He made it go, and he was in front of the camera. Like, that's a great thing that he did. But also, how tiring for him. That he had to do all the things to make you go like we need more we need different representations of disability
2: in front of the camera and behind the camera so that different stories are told all the time yeah for sure and you know i feel like this some way some days uh but do you ever feel a little bit overwhelmed because there seems to be so much work that needs to be done in all these different spaces from you know, we constantly throwing up our hands in exasperation over something like the Accessible Canada Act, which on its face, it's it's great that it exists. It's wonderful that we've started that process, but at the same time, there's really not much to it.
1: Um, yeah, but the, I, I could say the same of the American with Disabilities
2: Act. Like,
1: 100%, yep. There's not much to it. it, it was designed to stop lawsuits in businesses like
0: yeah, which didn't do a thing. That's
1: <laughs> what it was really for. And so, you know, they just had their 31st anniversary recently. Um, and I think it's great that they have this law there. But listen, that still doesn't it doesn't tackle discrimination. It doesn't tackle the everyday stuff. And the Accessible Canada Act or whatever the hell we're gonna call it, um I hate the Accessible Canada Act. Can we can we say disability? Can we like call it the the Canadian's disability, whatever? Like if they call it the Accessible Canada Act, I'm gonna scream. Cause we always keep connecting disability to accessibility when what we're forgetting is that disability is a culture all by itself. It's its own experience. And it doesn't have to be tied to access
2: all the time. Yeah, that's really interesting that you make that point because I, I really think that people are afraid of the word disability. Um, oh, yeah, they're terrified. That's why they use
1: euphemisms like, yeah. uh, you know, handicapable. Oh, yeah. Yep. Euphemisms like uh, special needs. But at the same time, it was just funny because I was doing a podcast just before I got on here with you guys. Um, and I was saying that I listen to the way people f- use language. So if somebody uses the word handicapped, I could, as a disability activist, stop them and say, uh, excuse me, that's not the right language to use. Yeah. How dare you? Or I could listen to what they said, how they said it, determine for myself if, if the word handicapped is being weaponized against me and then decide if I want to say, um, excuse me, can we change? Can, would you mind using this language? Because yeah. um, I think in our communities, we spend so much time infighting about what is the correct language to say to them. Like my mom, for instance, you know, when she was raising me, the language she used, she under she had for disability was special needs. So to this day, when she's talking to somebody about me or the disabled community, she'll say, people with special needs. And Initially, I was like, mom, you can't use that language anymore. But if you, if you listen to how she's using it, who is she hurting?
2: How, how is it hurting anyone? But I do feel like you kind of shoot yourself in the foot when you're, when you're not picking your battles and you're not attacking the people that are, say, are weaponizing the language against you. And you're just sort of muddying the waters or confusing people.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think what's unfortunate about that is that in the disability sphere, we're not allowed to have that conversation. We're not allowed to say, you know what, I'm gonna let somebody call me a special needs person because it doesn't hurt me. Like we're not allowed to ask for that nuance. Disability rights has made it so that anytime a non-disabled person is learning and they make a mistake, we're supposed to pounce on them. That's in my view, what social media disability justice has become and i think it's a shame because what we're doing is we're removing someone from the conversation when we should be including them
2: yeah no exactly and and again it's it's this we're we're shutting down people who actually want to engage they they want to join the conversation and then they're told well you're you're doing it wrong and they get attacked and. And they completely like just shut down. And
1: And I, you know, I don't blame them for shutting down. I would shut down too if somebody attacked me because I'm learning and I made a mistake. Like, and I have made mistakes in other communities where I've said stuff that I totally shouldn't have said. And when I was corrected, I was like, oh, thank you for telling me I'm going to do my best. And I still sometimes make mistakes. But if you shout at me, I'm not going to want to learn anymore. That's just, that's how humans are, unfortunately. And I think disabled people. We have a right to be angry, but like I said earlier, what are you doing to mobilize that anger? What are you doing to turn it into something positive? And so my job as a disability awareness consultant and as a podcaster is to, to it's never my responsibility to educate you, but it damn sure is my opportunity. And And I'm gonna take it wherever I
0: can. Yeah, you have a lot of experience, you know, and you know, I think we could probably talk for a couple hours but from listening to some of your experiences, as someone who is queer, dealing with sex and disability issues, finding sexual partners, how does that affect your, uh, I guess, your, your ability, your confidence, your, your promoting of the podcast, um, your educating of people? Like, How does that influence who you are and how you approach that topic?
1: the which part of the queerness? All of it. Oof. Again, do you have
0: seven hours? Uh, <laughs> well, um... I think it's, it's important to let people know that, you know, sex and disability is a topic that doesn't get talked about a lot. And how, you know, we did talk about how you can kind of, you know, approach that through humor and make it fun and kind of set people at ease. But, you know, what are some of the challenges that you face and how do you overcome them?
1: Well, the challenges that I face are just getting people to see that I'm sexual, period, at the end. Like, just getting them over the hump of, like, that guy in the wheelchair is really hot. Maybe I want to fuck him later. Or maybe, like, we want to hang out. Or maybe we should, we should go on a date. Or maybe, like, getting people over that hump is hard. Um, which is why I've resorted to, to working with sex workers and service providers that way. And, that, like, I've been working with, with sex workers now for five years. And it's one of the most transformative, powerful ways that I get to access my sexuality um, because I found that the ableism I was experiencing in the queer community on a day-to-day level and trying to meet guys on apps and trying to do all that stuff, it just wasn't happening. So I was like, fuck, I'll pay for it then. Let me see how that goes. And I had experiences that didn't go so great, but I've worked with people that are amazing providers and it gives me a confidence in my body and my sexuality that I wouldn't have otherwise.
0: And so how, how difficult was it for you to take that step?
1: I definitely was like, oh, I, you know, live on social assistance, which I know in BC is less than it is here in Ontario. Um, so, you know, I would always think like, well, do I want to pay for that really hot dick right there or should I feed myself? And so it was really hard to take that step because I thought this money that I'm getting from the government it should be used for feeding myself. Mm-hmm. But I'm lucky in the work that I do, I can make enough to support a good sex work session. Um, but it was really hard for me because I didn't want to be ashamed of my sex life.
0: Yeah, and one of the things, you know, one of the other reasons I think it'd be great to get your mom on the show is because you, you know, you broached the topic with her mom. I'm 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 by you know, I'm working with sex workers. And she kind of took a pause for a moment and went, okay, this is a whole new realm. You know, it didn't really sound like she had thought of before, you know, how are you going to be safe? Are you, you know, that whole, that whole discussion, that whole concern that a mother would have for a son, you know, queer or otherwise, um, how has that been? Like, how is, how has she come around to the understanding of, of your needs and your identity?
1: We have, we're very close, my mom and I, as I'm sure you can tell from uh, from just listening to us and then the podcast, we're very close. So I was scared to tell her because I was like, I don't know how I'm going to tell my mom this, but I had been lying about this, not lying, but just omitting the sex work part. So I'd say like, oh, I'm going on a date with a guy later, bye. And I just wouldn't say that I'm paying him 300 bucks an hour to like blow me, but um. You know, once I told her, like, she was like, the very first thing she said to me was, oh, good for you. If I was in your situation, I would do the same thing. And that was it. And that was it. And then we had, like, conversations about safety and about money and about how much it costs. And we had those conversations. And it was very honest. And so I was very, I was so happy to tell her. Because now, like, I show her I show her texts between my worker and I, like she's seen a photo shoot. He and I did like she's supportive. And so I think that was really powerful for me because it showed me that like, it's okay that this is an avenue you're doing and people support you.
0: Well, and I think that's one of the takeaways I got from watching your documentary and listening to the sound bites with your mom is it sounds like you have a very supportive, encouraging group of friends, your mom as well. It, it, you, you know, you're not alone in this endeavor.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I, I talk about sex work and being a client of sex workers quite openly online and then what I do, I talk about it all the time because I think it's important. And so like when I told her, when she told me that right away and said, good for you, if it were me, like, if it were me, I would do the same thing. I just took a sigh of relief. And then I told her everything. And we, now we just, now she knows. And she, we, she said to me off the cuff, like, I'm happy for you that you're that you're getting your needs met. Like that's really affirming to me because I was worried about what she would think and now I know that she's okay with it. So now I'm like, great, I can be the whore that I've always been. <laughs> but
2: <laughs> but it does- you, mom. <laughs> I'm a slut mom, yeah. <laughs> but it does bring up an interesting, like, so, you you know, you talk about piling stigmas on top of stigmas in terms of, you know, what, what a lot of people are, are comfortable with. I saw a documentary- not long ago about, um, and I think it was, I think it was about a, an agency, an escort agency in Ontario, I think, but they built, built it so that they specialized in clients with disabilities. Is it, are they essential solutions? It could have been, it, it may have they're been. They're
1: actually in your province and I know, I did an interview with that. If it is not who quite.
2: I think it is, then I can connect them, you to them if you want actually that's a great idea okay yeah we'll talk off yeah let's let's uh we'll we'll email you about that that's a great idea but so but i just want to get get your thoughts about that and and you know do is do we need more of that and is there a real case to be made for having sex workers that have been trained in a specific way in in helping meet specific needs because i think that people with with disabilities there there's a gradient of what they may be looking for because there may be some people that just it's just about touch or it's just about uh, intimacy more than actual sex and so there's probably a gradient of needs there do you think that we need uh, more agencies like that and do we need training or how do you see that space i think training is really hard i think
1: because every single like you said every single person's experience with disability and how they like to be things done is different right so i think that um i think that uh we need agencies yes but no, maybe not a standard training maybe like just hey are you willing to, to give working with a disabled person a shot cool go out and give it a shot try the disabled person will tell you what they need cuz we as the client know what we need so right when I started working with my worker, like I found him on an escort site and his like photos were him looking super hot and fuckable. And so like, I emailed him and said, have you worked with a disabled guy before? He said, no. And then, and then we, and then we, um, we figured out a session and he learned on the go. And there was something really powerful about that and really like, it bonded us because I was his first like disabled fuck ever. It's so, like, that's, I think too much training is a problem. The willingness to, to learn on the fly is the important part. And mm. you know, that, that requires, I think, I think it requires a lot of conversation. It requires a lot of um, discussion. It requires the worker to think about their own ableism. So maybe not training, but maybe there could be like, a course right around ableism like what is ableism what is sexual ableism what is like you know that's actually a great idea i've been thinking about that for a while like maybe doing a course for sex workers about how do you become a client to disabled people yeah like how do you do that and not a course where you like train on stuff but just a course where you sit in on interrogating your own ableism to be able to help somebody else
2: Right.
1: Yeah. So, anybody who wants to hire me to do that course, you
2: can hire me at andrewgirsa.com. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love it. No, no. Yeah, to plug, plug no way. a few always. always Andrew, the we're 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 plug sluts as well. <laughs> Me too, but in a totally
1: different kind of plug. (laughs)
2: That's right. See, I feel like we we had to, we have to like earn that that warning that we're going to put at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, we really do. We
0: really do. That's why I'm trying to dig into the deeper consciousness of sex and disabilities here because... Nobody's How
2: deep do you about... want to
1: go with me? I like things deep.
2: <laughs> uh, you had to go there. I really did. I, the minute the minute you said deep, I was like, I can't not let it go. Yeah, exactly. I totally understand that. I'm going to sorry. I'm going to talk a little bit about the podcast again because uh, sure. I'm always curious because uh, you know we we've, we've been doing this for uh, what are we? What are we, I keep forgetting, Ryan. Are we are we at year oh, six or 60. year five? We're six well yeah. yeah so we've been doing this you know and we're doing a weekly podcast and sometimes it is a real grind and it can be a real a real chore to to do a weekly podcast it's a lot of work um it, how do you find it it's a lot of work yeah yeah it's a, it's hard
0: well, like, we, know, it's, we know you're a shitty editor
1: <laughs> i have said quite openly i'm a shitty editor so <laughs> That's yeah I'm a, I'm a shitty editor like, i don't edit anything Me either. and i i hate so hard to edit editing is so like not only tiring but also i don't have the dexterity for that shit i don't know how to crop this little piece of audio into this little piece of, i don't know how to do that no and i don't have a team around me like what, what I, the mic i'm talking to you on is like in my bedroom and i'm recording it from my house Like i don't have a group of people doing it for me um so it's a lot but i love the 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 final product is people, you know, coming to me and saying, thank you for your show. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for putting it out there. Like, and that's powerful. Like that's that, I, you couldn't ask for anything better. Like I've also created a podcast network called, you know, wheels on the ground and, and not that I want a 2 man horn there, but if you guys don't have a network that you're on and you need one, let me know. Um, oh, listen, Toot, toot away. I uh, will talk. All right. Well, I started a network. And by started, I mean, I literally had my friend make that bumper that you hear at the beginning of my show that says, you're listening to Wheels on the Ground production. I had somebody make that for me. And I've literally been, you know, I wanted to create my own network because we need more podcasts by disabled people out there. And why not have a network just for that? And so I'm saying to anybody listening right now who has a show idea, I've been doing my show forever and I want to, kind of pass the torch and and give people the chance to create their own show. So if you're disabled and you have a podcast idea, I can help you make one and bring you on my network. As long as you don't say horribly offensive things, we should be fine.
0: (laughs) There's a whole nother network for that. (laughs) There are networks for that. Totally.
2: (laughs) (laughs) okay. Listen, before we, before we do wrap up, where can people find you? Uh, they can want, they
1: can follow me on Instagram or Twitter is so where I'm mostly active. They can find me at AndrewGerza underscore, or they can follow my website, AndrewGerza.com. I don't use it so much anymore because, because I feel like social media is how everybody connects now, sure. but you can book me at andrewgirza.com for, um, speaking opportunities and gigs like that and consulting stuff and cool things I'm around. Um, you can also follow my award nominated podcast Disability After Dark, which is available weekly, sometimes bi weekly, if I'm bored and want to put up a bonus episode. Um, there's a whole bunch of series on there. That you can go wherever you get a podcast, go there to get it. There are no transcripts because I don't have the energy or time to do those as regularly as I'd like to. So when I get some more money to support the show, I will. Um, they can also follow me. Yeah, yeah, those are all the places.
2: Um, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. It was so much fun talking to you. I want to have you on again. Um, get your mom on with you. Let's
1: do it. with. I would love to do that with my
2: mom. It would be so fun. It's it's a deal. Okay. We'll do it. We'll set it up. It'd be great. Okay. It's a done deal. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Andrew. It's been fun. Bye. Okay. Take care. Oof, man, that was fun. It was really cool. Uh, I love talking to other podcasters and, and other people in the, the disability advocacy space. So uh, very interesting, very, really interesting guy. I can't wait to have his mom on.
0: He's definitely got stories to tell and a lot of educating to do. I think you know probably you and I gained a lot out of this week's episode, like we do out of a lot of episodes. Yeah. So there's a lot of information to be gathered.
2: Yeah, very true. And I'd really highly recommend uh, watching the CBC documentary uh, picture this. Uh, we'll include a show, uh, link in the show notes. Um, it's really good. It's really interesting and really thought-provoking. Uh, definitely check out his podcast. Um, there's some reams and reams of really great content in there. Um, and he talks to a lot of different people, including, we might add, friend of the show, Alexis Hilliard, who uh, appeared on the on the show not too long ago? So yeah, it's definitely worth a listen if if uh, people aren't already dialed into it.
0: Absolutely.
2: But uh, no, it's great. Uh, I can't wait to to talk to him again because uh, he just there's he, so much to say. And I thought you know some really thought provoking stuff. I I, I especially like the the stuff talking a little bit about uh, some of the the infighting in the community, um, which I thought was a was an important topic to to bring up
0: i think the problem well i can't say i think the problem is i know the problem is is that no two parties are ever going to going to agree on how they want to be identified right so you know we've talked about vision loss as a spectrum i have no sight i'm totally blind people call me visually impaired i don't get offended why would i be offended you know it's their lack of knowledge. And it would be the same with autism spectrum or learning disabilities. You know, we can battle within ourselves, within our own own communities till the cows come home and it's not going to change anything. We're never going to agree. So let's just let that go. And again, if somebody does make a comment to you that offends you, take that moment to turn that into an educational moment. Don't get offended. Don't get pissed off. Don't berate them. Um, educate them.
2: Yeah, exactly. Don't berate. Educate.
0: There you go. That's, That's a new our hashtag. slogan. <laughs> yeah.
2: Make it so. Start. Start passing that hashtag around. Be Although sure. none of our other none of our other um, hashtag campaigns really went very far.
0: Because we haven't done anything with them. <laughs> hashtag um, where is Shan or who Shan never got started.
2: Turn <laughs> uh, it. There you go. So there Our you go. audience just isn't into Twitter. I guess. No, nah, don't blame them. We need some swag. Don't blame them. Hey, Ryan.
0: Mm, yes, Rob.
2: Um, where can people find us?
0: They can find us online at atbanter.com.
2: Uh, hey, they can also uh, drop us an email if they so desire at uh, cowbell at atbanter.com
0: and they can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.
2: I forget what's after that. Is there anything after that? No, wow. No? Man, see Steve, I'm telling you, man, Steve being away, it really throws <laughs> the outros off. <laughs> Just like, I don't know, where do I jump in? What am I saying? What's, Steve how many? Mean? Okay, well then that is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, thanks everybody for listening in. Big thanks to Andrew for joining us.